So hi, everybody. Robin and I recorded this episode a few days before the massacre in Texas. And so I just wanted to acknowledge what happened. I don't really know what to say about it. I certainly know how I feel about it. I feel hopeless. I feel helpless. I feel incredibly angry. The horror as the details come out is hard for most of us to even imagine, to truly even imagine what those people are going through, what those families are going through, what that community is going through. I want to stay optimistic. I want to believe in the capacity of people to change and to overcome. It feels a little hard right now. It's hard as I've been talking to kids this week to have them say to me, well, you know, Lynn, you tell us that anxiety and worry are about the stories that we tell ourselves, but this isn't a story. This is true. This really happened. I don't really have any good words of advice. I don't even know what to tell parents to tell their kids about this because it just feels so awful. And I am purposely working to make sure that I don't become numb to this. So I am letting myself feel all of the horror of this. I am listening to what people are saying. I am watching the interviews with the parents on purpose because I do not want us to think that this is how this is supposed to be. So I guess the only thing that I can say, if I can pull up any of my optimism, is that we need to continue to rely on each other, on connection. I think as we watch these families go through this horror, as I listen to the parents from Sandy Hook talk about what they learned going through this, is that love does matter, that in small ways and in your community and in your family and in your town, we need to continue speaking up and speaking out that we can't get complacent about all of this. And that I guess in these times of such despair that really the only thing that will sustain us is remaining connective and caring and loving to those of us who need it most. I hope you find something valuable in this episode, which is about connection and is about friendship. And I, I wish you all I don't know what I wish you. I wish you all to stay aware of this, to stay angry about this, and to try and model for our kids as, as much as we possibly can the importance of being compassionate and loving and caring. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way, and I'll even tell you what to say. Robin, you know how I just 
love Fred Rogers. Yes. And so I've sort of been getting a little dose of Fred recently, mainly because I talk about him in the book that I just finished. And so I've been looking at that a lot. Somebody asked me to come and do a talk about Fred Rogers, which I haven't done for a while. So I get to go and do that on Friday. So I'm totally psyched about that. Everyone should definitely go to your website and watch your Fred Rogers talk from just before the pandemic. Yes, it was just before the pandemic. I'll put a link in the show notes. I love that. I love that talk. Thanks. Also, I just was at my son's college graduation this weekend. And so I I always think about the commencement speech, which is one of the last speeches that Fred gave. I call him Fred now, like we're buddies. I should call him Mr. Rogers. Just talking about connection and talking about the people in your life that you connect to. And so I feel like I just have had this big dose of Mr. Rogers which leads me to want to talk about, and I think that we want to talk about, the value of connection and friendships. And so I think that's what we should talk about today. It's so unbelievably important that we help our kids figure out how to connect and that we talk about the difference between positive and negative connection, that we figure out our roles in our kids' friendships. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. So connection really is everything. And one of the things I've thought about since we've started the podcast together is obviously we speak about the fact that anxiety is an enemy of connection. Anxiety Mm -hmm. interferes with connection. Mm -hmm. So we're often talking about it because if you aren't managing your anxiety, you're not connecting with your kids to the, or your partner or your other family and friends Mm -hmm. to the fullest. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So we talk about that a lot, but also how we help our kids get connection to us, but their friends, you know, Mm -hmm. connection outside the home. Yeah. Every parent should really want that as, in my opinion, probably the most primary goal of Mm -hmm. raising them Mm -hmm. over getting into Harvard. We're getting into Harvard. Oh, over getting into Harvard. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, wait, Harvard? Yeah. And I think this is, you know, if you listen to our episode last week, We're not talking about the kind of connection that you're going to track your kids and know where they are all the time. We're talking about the connection because there's this other kind of connection, negative connection, which we can talk about, which has a lot to do with technology and social media, but really that positive connection, like how do you help your kids build connection? And I will tell you, and I've said this before, the thing that gets me when I am working with anybody, I don't care if it's a child or a teenager or an adult loneliness breaks my heart. When someone is lonely, when someone is disconnected, when somebody feels separate, it just slays me after all these years of doing this job. So being able to make sure that your kids, well, being able to foster in your kids the ability to connect and make sure that you're helping them do that, I think is something that's so important. And in terms of anxiety, and I'm sure I've said this before, anxiety doesn't give a shit. It does not care if your kids try out for the play, if your kids go to a sleepover, if your kids go to camp, if your kids go to school, if your kids get their driver's license, if their kids get a job. When anxiety shows up, anxiety says, no, thank you, I'm out. And so we really have to pay attention to that. And we have to pay attention to what we model in terms of our own connection. It's just vital. Anxiety doesn't care if you connect because anxiety is all about like, if that feels uncomfortable or if that feels scary or if that overwhelms me, anxiety says, oh no, thank you. We're out. Right. Anxiety says, I don't, I don't want you to be judged. Let's avoid other people. 
Because remember, anxiety wants certainty. Anxiety wants to know exactly how things are going to go. And if it can't have that certainty ahead of time, then it says, no, I'm out. I'm out. So if we think about social connection, if we think about relationships, anxiety doesn't want anything to do with the messiness of that. And yet it is so, so important that we allow our kids to step into the messiness of that that we allow them to figure these things out, that we're there to support and love, but that we make sure that we are not getting in the way of their connection, that we're not determining their connection, that we're not modeling negative connection. All of these things are so important because friends are key to kids' social development, to their happiness, to their mental health. Key, friendship and connection is key. Let's talk about what are the ingredients that make connection the authentic good stuff? Well, to spend a moment or two thinking about the person or the people, the, the friends that you connected to when you were little. Little kids feeling as if they can be playful and that children are going to include you in that playfulness. So connection for little kids is really literally about connection. This is why they walk up to each other at the playground and they say, hi, my name is, you know, my name is Pete and I'm six. What's your name and how old are you? And they're just taking this little quick inventory. Oh, oh, hey, I have a truck like that too. Hey, do you like Legos? They do this little interview to figure out what do we have in common and how can we connect in our play? And so when you're thinking about that with your younger kids as a parent, you want to make sure that you are putting them in opportunities. And again, now we've got to pay attention to this post-COVID, that we're putting them into situations in which there are a lot of kids, a lot of opportunities for that kind of very concrete, playful connection. That's where we start with little kids. So think about that for a minute. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance and guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something 
and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O- T-T-A, and use the code FLUSTER. Okay, back to the show. This is reminding me of a story. My daughter Mm -hmm. and I were at a hotel swimming pool. Mm -hmm. So my daughter and I were hanging out by the side of the pool talking. Mm -hmm. I'd say she was like 10. Mm-hmm. A girl, maybe eight, comes up to her and says, hey, do you want to play? And my daughter looks at me because she was like, no, I got my mom to myself. I want to mm-hmm. be with my mom is what I know she's thinking. Mm-hmm. And so she said to her, hang on one second. So she talks to me. She's like, I really don't want to go play with her. I want to talk to you. And it was a teaching moment. And I said, you know what? It it takes great courage Mm -hmm. when you approach someone to play. Mm -hmm. She's putting herself out there. So why don't you say, I'd love to go down the slide with you, but then I'm going to go back to my mom because we're going to try and talk while my little brother's busy. Mm Mm-hmm. So you, because like, who cares? She's going to go down the slide once. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I had that conversation with her is because I wanted her to remember that later on. Yeah. And I think when we talk about connection and we talk about friendship, it has to start somewhere, right? And what's the opposite of connection and friendship is rejection and loneliness. And so I think that's a wonderful story because what you were saying to your daughter is you were saying, recognize that somebody is taking a little bit of a risk and stepping in. Right. They're making themselves vulnerable. They're asking to play. And I think that from a very early age, you can help your kids recognize that. Somebody says, hey, do you want to play with us? Or hey, do you want to try this? It's really a good experience to have of being able to recognize that somebody is approaching you and somebody is inviting you, right? Particularly if you have a child that's a little introverted, a little shy, a little more cautious, you may have to coach them a little bit in that. You may have to coach them also to be the one who goes and invites, to be the one who goes and includes. So it starts very early in sort of teaching these skills of connection. little rom-com interjection. Yeah, go ahead. This grows all the way to adulthood and romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. As Julia Roberts says in Notting Hill, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy 
asking him to love her. Thank you for letting me just think about Hugh Grant for a minute. And I remember watching that movie and realizing that whenever people really do put themselves out there for love, the world isn't looking at them, judging them negatively. They're rooting for you. Yeah. That's a universal truth, which also means that we shouldn't be so vulnerable with that desire to connect. And yet it's so easy to go there and feel afraid. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're saying we're rooting for that. We're rooting for people to connect. We're rooting for friendship, aren't we? But when you're the one who's making an effort, it feels so scary Mm -hmm. to some, not to all. It's great to make your kids have a mind frame that people are rooting for connection. Yeah. What happens, and this is what I see a lot, of course, in my work, is that we assume negative judgment, right? So we make the assumption in our heads by ourselves that this person doesn't want to have anything to do with us, that we're not good enough for this person. And, you know, I tell the story all the time when my, with my very good friend, Christine, when we were getting to know each other, I had just moved to this city. I didn't know a single person. We met at the gym and we laugh now because we were really sort of sizing each other up when we went to the gym. And she was saying like, oh, I wonder if she'll be friends with me. And I was saying like, oh gosh, I wonder if she'll be friends with me. We were both so so we were both so nervous that the other person wouldn't want to be friends with us. And we were both just seeking connection. We both had little kids. We were both like, oh, please, I want, I want to hang out with another person that I have something in common with. And in our own heads, we were creating these stories of like, oh, she doesn't want to be my friend. Oh, why would she want to be my friend? And that's what we want to make sure that our kids understand is that people are seeking connection. We are wired for connection. And it's, it is about stepping in. It doesn't work all the time. I sort of had a starter friend that I made when I moved here, and it became clear within a few, a few adult play dates that this wasn't going to work. But it's about rooting for connection and stepping into connection and giving kids the language and the opportunity to take that social risk. Within families as well, I like to think of connection maintenance. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you're a huge advocate for silliness and fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that is a key tool in creating connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that adults can use this very skillfully to make a great night with the family, mm-hmm. uh, with the kids, with other adult family members. Mm-hmm. You know, the sense of play and creating a sense of play is so powerful. I came from a family where people weren't very good at that. Yeah. If we adults think about the friends that we feel such an attachment to are usually the friends where the laughter and the silliness were just like nonstop. Yeah. Well, I was just talking to my sister. She actually spent the weekend with one of her friends that was her college friend, and they hadn't seen each other in 20 years. And when she called me after their weekend, she said, oh my God, we just laughed and laughed and laughed. She said, we had such a good time and they were just laughing. And and let me say this too, is that the flip side of the laughter is that what's that connection between play and laughter and silliness allows you to then be connected when you're having a tough time. 
I don't want it to be interpreted that we're saying, well, we want to have connection based on silliness and play and laughter. That sets up the ability to then call your friend when you're crying, call your friend when you're devastated, knowing that that friend is going to be there when you suffer some sort of loss or some sort of difficulty. That free emotional expression, it's it's really vulnerability. We don't think about vulnerability in sort of playfulness and silliness and laughter, but it's there, isn't it? Oh, it's very much there. Yeah, especially when you're laughing and you wet your pants. You're, you're very <laughs> vulnerable during those moments, right? Yeah. Like a hypothetical. If someone were to do that, for example, that might happen. But I think it's really the the strength of connection, making sure. So this is this is something that I really want everybody to think about because when we, you know, we talked about the little kids and how they sort of march up and say, like, hey, do you want to play? And then it gets more complicated as you move into middle school and high school. One of the things that happens in middle school is that a lot of relationships shift and change because you're beginning to figure out who you are and who you want to be friends with. A lot of those younger relationships and friendships that you have start to go by the wayside because sometimes it's because of, you know, social manipulating or social climbing. Sometimes it's because you move in different directions and you have different interests. But parents should be really aware of the fact that there's an enormous change in relationships that often happens during those late elementary, early middle school years. There is a transition when parents are controlling the social schedule and social calendar yep. because they have to drive and they have to make the play dates. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the kids can start making plans on their own. Yep. And the kids are determining who they want to hang out with. Right. Because a lot of the early friendships that you have, too, are based on your, your, you know, the parents are friends. And so then the kids hang out. Right. And that changes in middle school. The other thing that happens, and this is what I think, actually, if you aren't aware of it, once this develops, I don't think a lot of adults ever outgrow this. Mm-hmm. But I call it friendship from a place of ego. Mm. Does this person make me feel cooler? Does this Mm -hmm. person make me feel prettier? Does this person make me feel smarter? Everyone does it in middle school because as you're figuring out who you are in the world, you start wanting to be with the people who make you feel and tell you the story you want to hear about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people never outgrow that, which is lame, but- (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's true. There are a lot of people I can tell they're still in middle school when it comes to their social lives. Yeah. But kids are going to go through this. And I think it's helpful to think about it through that lens. And I think one thing you want to pay attention to, and this is really about everything that I talk about in terms of problem solving, is that how do you help your middle schooler negotiate these difficult friendship times? And it moves into high school too, right? So it doesn't just go away. Rather than stepping in and trying to fix it, rather than trying to prevent your child from getting heartbroken rather than preventing your child from having difficult friendships. How do you help your child develop those social skills of communicating, of setting boundaries, of relationship repair? These are things that I've been talking about a lot recently. Do we talk to kids enough about how do you apologize? How do you own your own stuff? How do you decide when a relationship isn't really helpful to you anymore? How do you figure out how to talk to a a friend about something that hurt you or something that you're concerned about. These are skills we really want to talk to our kids about because they are not really good at navigating the difficult parts of friendship 
if you talk to parents, they say, oh, God, it's so dramatic, or this happened, or they broke up, or we really want to talk about the normal day-to-day maintenance of relationships. I don't think we talk about that enough with our preteens and our teens. I think a lot of adults don't actually know this themselves. I Mm -hmm. find myself saying a lot, look, the struggle you're facing right now is one we adults face too. Mm -hmm. And I think coming at it from that perspective and recognizing that these social relationships are tricky and you have to have a lot of experience figuring out how to navigate them. One of the things I've been talking about with kids a lot and with their parents is the thing I call awkward empathy, because I think particularly when we're going through the pandemic and, but you know, I mean, people go through tough times and there's loss and we feel awkward when something is not going well in somebody else's life and we don't know what to say. And I know grownups do this all the time, right? They say like, well, I didn't want to bring it up or I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. Well, you know, I mean, it felt awkward. And I talk to kids a lot about when you know somebody is having a tough time, when you know that somebody is struggling, their dog died, their grandfather died, their mom has just been diagnosed with breast cancer. How do you step into that and show empathy and know that it's going to feel awkward? that you don't have to know exactly what you're going to say, that you can say, I heard this and I'm really sorry. And I just wanted to say that I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. You don't, you don't have to know what to say. And I think teaching kids that it's the showing up, it's the showing of connection that really is something that is so powerful. Doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the language down. You just have to show up and you have to show connection. I think that's something we really want to talk about with our young people also. I always think grief is so fascinating because if you haven't truly like grieved someone close, you sort of think you sort of know Mm -hmm. what, or, or it's very awkward. And then once you grieve, then you're like, I know how to help other grieving people because I've been there. You know, it's like a club. Mm -hmm. Back when one of my sons was in ninth grade. So he and a bunch of his buddies were trying out for the freshman baseball team and None of them were superstars. Like, you know, the kids that are going to make the team, but they were all sort of like, maybe they'll make it, maybe they won't. And I think there were four of them in their group. Three of them made it and one of them didn't. And then there was a really important conversation with my son about how is he going to address this with the friend that didn't make it? And he's like, oh, it's going to be so weird. And what are we supposed to say? And it was just one of those great lessons of being able to say, you say to him, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry you didn't make it. That must be really sad for you. I wish it didn't go this way. Say, say something. It doesn't have to be perfect. And he's like, oh, that's going to be so uncomfortable, mom. Yep, it is. And I want you to step into it. And I want you to be uncomfortable because he feels sad. He feels rejected. He feels left out because he got cut from the team and he needs to know that his friends get it. And I just think there's there's all of those lessons along the way that we can help with that with that kind of connection that is really meaningful. Having the skill to say something that is uncomfortable is lifelong mm-hmm. and has unlimited applications. Yeah. Think of how women friends often, if something bothers them, Mm -hmm. they don't admit it. Mm -hmm. They brush it under the rug, Mm -hmm. which then can sometimes have repercussions. Mm -hmm. But if a friend says, you know, when you said that, it kind of hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. So then the person has a chance to apologize and clarify so that the relationship is smooth. Yeah. 
that ability to separate your emotions from the moment when something else has to happen, Mm -hmm. another truth or another conversation has to happen is a great Mm -hmm. skill. Yeah. And sort of very closely connected to that is I often see parents who want to step in and not have their child have that conversation or not have the child deal with that awkwardness. So maybe an example might be like you're having difficulty with a teacher or a coach at school. And so the parent wants to step in and not let their child have that conversation. They want to have the conversation for them. I have a very good story about this. Just happened recently. So this is a such a good example of how do we let our kids have these conversations with their friends and how do parents get in the way of it? Okay. So there are four players in this story. This is not a client, by the way, this is somebody else. There are four players in this story. There is a mother, a father, a daughter, and a roommate. The mother and father are divorced amicably. They get along. The daughter has just finished her freshman year in college. And what happened was the roommate needed to move out, but the roommate lives across the country. And the daughter lives about a half an hour from the college. So the parents helped the roommate move out and the daughter helped the roommate move out because she needs to store stuff. You know, she's not going to send everything across the country. They send some stuff, but so they needed to help her because her parents aren't there. Roommate's parents are across the country. So then what happened is daughter was exhausted and frustrated with roommate because roommate wasn't prepared to move out. And roommate wasn't, didn't express a lot of gratitude. So they helped her move out and they didn't confront her or anything about this. But after the fact, daughter was like, oh, that was terrible. We helped so much. She didn't really express gratitude. So father says, I'm going to call roommate's parents across the country, parents that he doesn't really know at all, and tell parents of roommate that we are not going to help roommate move in again in the fall because daughter and roommate are going to be daughter and roommate again. We're not going to help her move in in the fall and we're not going to help her move out next spring. We are done helping with the moves in and the moves out. And the, the father wanted to call the parents and have that conversation. What do you think my response was? Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because like, obviously, daughter and roommate need to have a conversation. Right. And daughter can also decide that she doesn't want to have a conversation, but maybe she's just going to, because this is going to be a biannual event, that she doesn't have to have the conversation if she doesn't want to, but she can suck it up and she can deal with her roommate and moving her out. And mother said, we're happy to help move. Told father, please don't call. That's very intrusive. You don't need to do that. But the idea that this dad, who's a very loving, caring dad, was going to call the roommate's parents across the country and say, we are no longer helping because your daughter didn't express enough gratitude, right? Oh, my God. These are 19-year-olds. Let them have the conversation. Let them have the conversation. I couldn't even believe that the father was going to do that. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. What did he think would happen? Yeah, that was my question, right? What did you? What do you think is going to happen? How do you think this is going to go? Because these two girls have to move back in together for their next year in college. What did he think was going to be the result of that? And what lesson are both of them not going to get? Because if these two young women who are very capable, intelligent women, 
if they can have this conversation and work this out, right, all the better. But to have the parents step in and call the other parent in college, ugh, no, not a good idea. That's sort of an extreme story. I guess maybe it's extreme, maybe because of the age. But think about all the ways, parents, that you step in to try and manipulate the connection to decide which friends your kids are going to have and which friends they're not going to have based on all sorts of things, right? When you were talking about ego, Robin, who do you think your child should be friends with? I think that's a very toxic, very common energy. Mm -hmm. I know of a situation in my family where that played out and the mom never thought that the child's friends were the friends that she wanted and therefore always belittled the friends. Mm. And think about then what her child absorbed from that. They're not good enough. I must not be good enough. Right. Connection is going to always be a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. No matter what group your kids end up with, embrace if it's a group, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, to the extent, I mean, I know there's negative connection too. Right. Well, and I think what it goes to is that you want your child to be able to connect. The goal is not to go in and orchestrate the connections that your children have. The goal is to teach your children how do they determine what a positive connection is so that they themselves, as they move through their adulthood, say you've got a parent who's curating these friendships and deciding who's going to be friends and who's not going to be friends. How do you then learn to choose good friendships, to choose good roommates, to choose a good partner in life? The goal is not to get in and forbid, right? We know how that goes, right? I forbid you to see this person but instead to help them develop the ability to say this isn't a good match. All right, so I want you to think about that while we take a quick break. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail, but lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. 
It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, back to the show. When I was in high school, I had a group of friends. I had two groups of friends. One group of friends was incredibly, like they were the sweetest, most inclusive, great kids. The other group, they had much more social cachet and they didn't treat me very nicely. And there was one girl in that group that was really mean to me one night. She actually hit me in the face because she was mad at something. And I told my mom about it. And my mom said, why don't you take a break from her for two weeks? See what your life is like without her. Because my mom knew, like, this girl is just not nice to my daughter. Why don't you see what life will be like without having contact with her for two weeks? And I took the two weeks off. And do you know what? My life was really, really much better. And I was done with that friendship. But my mom didn't say, I forbid you to see her. My mom didn't call her mother and say, do you have any idea what your daughter is doing? She didn't do that. She said, why don't you figure out whether or not this friendship works? The mental health field says that anxiety and depression can be a little contagious. So let's talk about when, A, your child could be the one with the anxiety and depression, or your child is befriending someone who has anxiety and depression. And because this generation of high school students talks about their mental health a lot and in ways that aren't very constructive, Mm -hmm. how should parents navigate that? One of the things you want to talk to your kids about it, and you want to make sure, so if it's your child that is struggling, the message you always want, we always want to give our kids when they're struggling is that this is not all of them. This is not their identity. This is not who they are, that they're working on it, that they are figuring things out, that they want people in their lives that are understanding, but also people in their lives that recognize that this is not all of who they are. So if you get into a group in which the main identifying factor in this group is that it is something negative, then you want to talk to your child about that. Unpack that a little more. What do you mean if it's something negative? Well, so say you've got a group of kids and the thing that is connecting them, the main connecting factor is they all have anxiety disorders, or the main connecting factor is they all cut, or the main connecting factor is they all have depression, and that becomes what they focus on. You want to talk to your child about the fact that there are so many other parts to your child and to these other children, and that how can we focus on positive connection? That means being supportive of each other. It doesn't mean denying it, but it isn't all of who they are. This is where the identity of diagnosis becomes a problem. If you are concerned that your child is in a group or has a friendship in which that negative identity is sort of what is the core of the friendship. So your child is in a relationship in which 
They're playing therapist. They're playing emergency worker. They're playing, I have to be there to help. You want to talk to your child about how it is that they know what their boundaries are, that they don't get sucked in. I am very clear with kids when I talk to them that these behaviors are contagious, that if you are hanging out with somebody that has a very negative view of the world, or you're hanging out with somebody who expresses their anger very strongly, a blanket expression of anger, that that's something that you want to pay attention to and you want to be able to differentiate between what is you and what is them. And that skill, particularly during a time when peer connection is so important, is really important to talk to your children about. Eating disorders, we know that the behavior can be contagious. We know that in certain support groups for adults, that the behaviors get handed around rather than differentiating and focusing on the development of positive connection, we get this negative connection thing going on. And it can be in not that dramatic ways. It can be the negative connection is being a group of bullies that are mean to other kids. The negative connection can be about substance use. The negative connection can be just about mean gossiping, right? Mean girling. And you want to help your kids recognize that as contagious as those behaviors are, they want to separate out who they want to be in a friendship, who they want to be in their relationships with other people, and where do they draw the line. This is a hard thing to do socially. We know it. There's something called risky shift where kids and adults will do something that is riskier in a group than they would do individually. So how do you help kids establish what their moral code is, what their values are, and what they will and won't accept in a relationship? All of that stuff, it needs to be talked about because this is all a part of both positive and negative connection. It's the old line of, if they jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? And the answer, what we know about, <laughs> about social relationships is like, yes, I would. And that's what you have to, you have to pull that back. You have to work on that with them. It is really, really hard. That's that scene from the first Harry Potter movie. So when Neville wins the points and wins the house cup for Gryffindor and Dumbledore says, standing up to your enemies is hard. Standing up to your friends is harder, right? We want to talk about these connection skills, these relationship skills with our kids a lot. We want to help them figure this out. We don't want to step in. We don't want to call the parents and say, our teenage girls are having difficulty and your teenage girl can't talk to my teenage girl. You want to help them with these skills. So when I think about my own past in high school and my own friendships, I feel like I was exposed to a lot. If people are regular listeners, they'll know that my best friend committed suicide in the beginning of my sophomore year of high school which was a big deal in terms of what I went through emotionally. Yeah. That had a big impact on my friendships. And the people who I was drawn to afterwards were very different than who I was friends with before. Hmm. In what way? And this is what we've talked about in other episodes, like with the kids whose parents die of cancer. Mm -hmm. They want to go to a camp where all feelings are okay. Mm -hmm. I needed to be around people who shared my anger. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely hung out with people who were angry and how they interpreted their anger could have been a little different, but people who had been somewhat untouched, who were cheerier personalities, 
was temporarily, because that's not who I am now, but in this high school chapter, it affected that. Mm -hmm. So I would say to parents, if you see shifts where your kids are suddenly hanging out with friends who might be more self-destructive in different ways, there's very much a reason potentially that your kids have feelings of anger, feelings of sadness that they're not yet equipped to manage and deal with. And interestingly, a friend from my high school and I were messaging on Facebook when she recalled the friend of mine who died. Mm -hmm. And she said, I was thinking about you because this happened and this little girl went to this school for like 10 years because it was a private school. And after she died, there was just no conversation mm -hmm. about it at all. Mm -hmm. Zero. Very typical. I mean, better now, but back when we were in high school. Oh, yeah. Very typical. Like sweep it under the rug and there was no processing of it. Yep. If my kids suddenly made a shift where they were doing that, helping them figure out like you've got an attitude and emotions that you're feeling that are really pretty negative. How can we help you manage those? Because you have a right to feel anger. So say parents get divorced, say, say someone dies in the family, it, it will have an impact and it very will likely have an impact on your kids and who they feel they want to align with. Well, and I think what that comes down to is whether or not we're making room for kids to be able to express the feelings that they're having, which we've talked about a ton. What happened to you is your best friend dies by suicide and then nobody talks about it. So you had nowhere to express those feelings except with these other peers that were also feeling the same way, maybe for different reasons. Correct. But that felt like the soup you wanted to be in was the angry soup because there wasn't room in the adult world. Nobody sat down with you and said, this must be really awful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that we want to pay attention to, you know, we've talked about toxic positivity and sort of like get over it and you should be fine and all of the language that we can give where we're afraid to have these difficult conversations with our kids, they are going to gravitate toward the kids that are feeling and expressing emotions in the same way, even if it's in a very unhealthy way. So that's where we have to make sure that if your kid is struggling, not even struggling, if your kid is being a teenager, because it's really hard to be a teenager, if your child is in fourth grade and having difficulty making friends, et cetera, et cetera, that you have conversations about it and that you find ways for them to connect in healthier ways, but not in a way that says, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to have these feelings. You can't hang around with that child because that's a bad child to hang around with, et cetera, et cetera. Opening up the conversation, making things okay to experience, okay to talk about, and really having this balance, and it's sort of this balance of having positive connection, and then there is negative connection at times that is going to show up. I like that you brought up that example of the cancer camp because the little boy that I was working with, he went to cancer camp where all these kids were feeling enormously painful feelings, and his experience of it was it was the most positive connection that he had ever had. Think of how joyful and playful it was an outlet for these children too, because people weren't looking at them only as the child who just lost their parent to cancer. Well, nobody felt uncomfortable around them, he told me. They were being playful and they had silliness and playful and positive connection, 
But a huge part of the positive connection with for him was that they could talk very openly about how hard things were. In other places, oh, people were oh nervous about that. Oh, we don't want to bring it up, right? So it was this interesting combination of being able to be playful, being able to be silly, being able to grieve, being able to feel sad, being able to feel angry, and everything was okay in that context. It was all okay. You know, when we talk about positive connection, it really is allowing allowing for the negative stuff to be a part of it. It's sort of paradoxical, but positive connection comes from being able to share the negative stuff too. It's about authenticity. That's right. It's about authenticity. We've covered a lot of ground here, Robin. It's kind of funny as we thought, like we wanted to talk about this topic. We're like, oh my gosh, there's so much we can talk about. But maybe just to crystallize it a little bit, just to sort of bring it together, the thing that I'm saying and the thing that you are saying so beautifully with your example of your friend and your experience with that is that connection is vital. We are human beings and that a lack of connection, isolation and loneliness is really something that we need to pay attention to. Loneliness is a huge issue in the mental health of both children and adults, but that it really is a part of our parenting, a part of our responsibility to be very clear with kids about the difference between negative and positive connection and that they're going to have both. They're going to have to navigate their way through them. But teaching kids these really important basic things of how to communicate what you're feeling, how to know when a relationship is helpful and when it's not, to let your kids go through the messiness of this with you as sort of the sideline coach but don't step in and try and fix any everything. Don't step in. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to step in, but it really is about offering your kids guidance and modeling and conversations and a huge recognition that relationships and connections are vital and also tricky and messy and vulnerable, making it okay for them to sort of dive into this and not trying to control it so much. It's scary for parents, but it's so important that your kids move through this and develop these skills of being able to communicate, being able to express their feelings, being able to connect with kids that maybe you're like, oh gosh, you know, I'm not sure about that, but getting to know those kids. So, so important that we model that over and over and over again. When I think of the advice that you've given that guides me parenting in this chapter, my favorite piece of advice that I kind of put at the paramount, because a lot of the things that you just said are woven into so many other things about emotional management Mm -hmm. and connection, but the skill of teaching your kids to assess who is a good friend that makes me feel good for the right reasons. Mm -hmm and to promote the connection with those people, I think is just like a great skill to learn and for adults to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Who do you hang out with that you're connecting with in an authentic way for both positive and negative emotions that are your real self and to really focus on those relationships? Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. I mean, relationships are what it comes down to, right? When people are connected, When people feel like they have people that understand them, that know them, that they can depend on them. You know, my frustration, I'm often sort of like, we keep saying like, why are our kids so anxious? Why are our kids so depressed? 
And it really just comes down so often to the level of connection that we feel. Your kids do not have to have a gazillion friends. The research is pretty clear that one or two strong, positive connections is life-sustaining. It's sustaining. And it may be the same for adults as well. The goal is quality, not the quantity of the click. Yes. At any age. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, I will tell you my weirdest click story ever. Okay. I got invited to go on this mom's weekend, like this girl's weekend. Very alcohol focused and I don't drink, but whatever, blah, blah, blah. The year before they were having this girl's weekend and I found out and I didn't get invited and I was really, really sad. So then the next year I got invited. But here's what happened. One of the women on the girl's weekend had just gotten breast implants. Some people on the girl's weekend who were allowed to know she got breast implants and there were other girls on the girl's weekend, women, that were not allowed to know she had breast implants. And I drove to the girls' weekend with one of the women who was not in the in-group of knowing about the breast implants, but found out about the breast implants. And it was a very awkward weekend. I'm just saying. This is what women do. Not on our mom's weekend. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so weird. This is an experience I had. I'm like a grown-ass woman. And it's sort of like, who knows she's got new boobs and who knows she doesn't. And then we all knew, of course, everybody found out, but some people had to pretend they didn't know. And some people did know. It was so bizarre. That's the last girls weekend that I ever went on. I don't blame you. Uh, Yeah, I was done. It was just too much. And it went downhill from there. We're too old for that. I know. It just shows when you're in the right sandbox, it matters. It does matter. And when you're in the wrong sandbox, it's really obvious. And it only becomes more obvious as you get older. It was so bizarre. You know, like I was observing it as it was happening. You know, it's like, okay, so this is weird. Okay, so I just have to ask you, how was your skill of differentiation in that moment? (laughs) I'd like to believe that you were like, okay, not again. Yeah, yeah, not again. It was very clear very early. And again, it got worse from there. Like more things happened. I do not like those. Yeah, I do not like that, Sam. I am. I do not like, I do not like boobs and booze girls weekends. (laughs) So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. 
If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 